live right now. <clears throat> Good morning. It's uh, 9.30. 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, welcome to Sunday School this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, we've got uh, a pretty full slate, including a new book to cover uh, for Sunday School. But what I want to do is get started with music while we allow people to get on together. Psalm 23, I Am Not Alone, is a favorite, I think, uh, for many people and songs featuring Josh Sherman. So we'll get that started right now while people log in and get on. Here we go. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, everybody. The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. He goes before me. Defender behind me. Brother Nate.
Okay. Uh, we have to cut that a little bit short, but uh, that's a great song. You can find it on uh, YouTube. Uh, People and Songs featuring Josh Sherman uh, singing Psalm 23, I Am Not Alone. Uh, great music for this morning. Today is November the 1st. How about that, right? Or as my social studies t teacher used to say, November the 1th. Uh, but today is the 1st, and uh, that means it's good <laughs> <laughs> that means it's uh, we're uh, full full force into fall weather. Um, have a couple of announcements to make for this morning. We do have a new study we're starting today, which is going to be fantastic. Um, first of all, just a, a quick note that we are having church today, and we are going to be meeting uh, in the church building um, at approximately 11 o'clock. Um, you, you obviously will be able to go in sooner than that. Um, if you are interested in, um, uh, if you want to go to the church, you must have a face covering uh, and it must be worn inside the building at all times. Uh, it will be, uh, your temperature will be taken before you enter the building. We want to make sure that we're following all the safety protocols and keeping everything uh, where we're not having any issues in the building. If you have a fever, you won't be able to come in. Um, you will be able to worship with us online if you choose to do so, if you stay home. Uh, in the same location here, uh, we'll have a live stream of the worship service at about 11 o'clock once I get down there and set up to be able to do so. The um, uh, other thing to keep in mind as well, too, is that we will have, of course, uh, for those who have not been to our church, uh, we have assigned seating. Uh, if you've previously registered to go into the church, we have assigned seating and seats where, where you, you uh, family members will sit. Um, and visitors do have a signed area as well too that is towards the entrance of the uh, of the sanctuary. The um, tithes and offerings uh, are to be dropped off on the right hand side of the doorway as you go in either before or after service. Um, you can just make a note of that there's only one way in and one way out uh, and that's going to be in the main door entrance area on the side of the building uh, correct. Uh, not in the back. There will be no entryway in the back of the building. You have to walk around to the side to go in. And, of course, uh, all the protocols have been uh, maintained to make sure that we keep things safe. It was good news to see that the counties did not raise their level uh, of instances of uh, cases uh, to the degree that uh, require going above a level three. So we've been at a level three for some time now. We're just going to stay there, hopefully, and it'll start going down. But we're going to keep safe. That's the bottom line. That's what's most important right now. Um, and with that in mind, I think that covers everything that needs to be covered. Uh, oh, if you're mailing your tithe, uh, tithes or offerings, if you come back in and mail them, uh, decide to mail them, excuse me, you can mail them to our church, Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. Uh, we appreciate your continuing to support the church in any way, shape, or form that you can. And we just ask that you pray for the members. So there are members of our church who... Uh, are doing well, and there are members of our church who are, for different reasons, are, are uh, kind of scuffling a little bit with their health, so just keep everyone in prayer and just keep things going. Um, do want to make a distinction for those of you who have allergies. You don't need to worry about not coming. Um, allergies are allergies. That's a totally different situation. Um, and today I understand that mold and dust are the big deals uh, for allergies, so uh, keep that in mind. So if you hear somebody cough or s sniffle a little bit, no, one, no need to panic. Uh, around you. Uh, allergies are a, re a way of life for a lot of us, so we have to kind of deal with it and just tamp them down as we can. So we want to make that distinction as well, too, so that uh, we don't have people looking around uh, wondering what's going on. Um, I can see that happening if it, if it does uh, occur that way. Okay, um, for, for, that, for what it's worth, we're going to go ahead and get started. We've got um, the book of Ephesians that we're covering today. We're going to be doing some prayer first and move into our lesson and uh, thanks for being here again this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to get together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your very presence today. We thank you, Lord, for how you bless us and keep us all throughout. We thank you for your covering and we thank you for your protection as you minister to us about all the things that have taken place this past year. And Lord, we just know that there is a lot to look forward to. We do have much to look forward to in the coming year. 
pray, Lord, that you just bless us, protect us and keep us, and provide healing where it's necessary. And we give you all the praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. So with that in mind, we're going to start in the book of Ephesians. How about that? We're doing a new book. We, um, we had started with um, Galatians uh, this past uh, period of time, and now we're going to be doing Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, again for being here. We're going to ask you to turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. A great study. Um, and it's interesting in doing the research for this particular study, uh, some interesting facts. You'll remember in, Gal- in Galatians, the letter to the Galatian church was very pointed because it was very focused on the members of the church, their uh, particular issues, uh, the things that were taking place. And there was a, it was obviously causing a real problem with unity within the church. Well, this particular passage uh, actually does address unity, unity in the church, but it also but it removes all of the other details. And I'll, I'll go over the passage first. Let's read it together. This is the New Living Translation, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Don't want to get ahead of myself. want to make sure we're covering everything here. So let's start reading together, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing him, us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So he praised God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kingdom, his, pardon me, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Amen. So that's the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And what you'll see in this letter that's basically a a summary of what it is to have faith and to be blessed, have spiritual blessings in Christ. Uh, First of all, let's do a little bit of history just to give you some context as to who this letter is being written to. It's obviously being written to a Gentile church, um, Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. It's one of the five major cities in the Roman Empire. Um, It goes along with Rome, Corinth, Antioch, and Alexandria. And so there's a, Paul has a pretty big history with Ephesus. Uh, He first visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey. For context, you would find that in Acts chapter 18, verses 19 through 21. And then during his third missionary journey, he stayed there for three years. And that's in Acts 19. Um, Paul later met again with the elders of the Ephesian church at Miletus, which is in Acts 20, verses 16 through 38. And so Ephesus was a pretty important city, a pretty big 
city. It was a commercial, political, and religious center for all of Asia Minor, a very, very key area. Now, for context as well, too, the, uh, the Gentiles there the, uh, were still involved with pagan worship. They were worshiping uh, in Ephesus the Greek goddess Artemis, A-R-T-E-M-I-S. And Diana would be her Roman equivalent. Um, that was where that temple was in Ephesus, in the, in, the, in, the, in the city of Ephesus. So understand that that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with overcoming uh, pagan worship of a goddess. Uh, there had to be some teaching, some instruction, and the people in the church were uh, obviously being guided to say that that would not be the way to go. The way to go is to follow Christ. So that is why uh, Paul was very, very interested in making sure that the Ephesian church was successful. It was able to overcome these issues and of course you have to understand that from a cultural perspective um, in the Roman Empire the Roman influence was extremely powerful there was a lot going on there and so we have a lot of worldly thinking worldly reasoning that was taking place in that area so Paul made it a point to be there now one other thing I want to point out too if you go back to verse 1 in this passage uh, where it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's people, holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, what you'll find is very interesting that I found out here today, here in researching this. The word in Ephesus was probably added, not so much in the text for scripture's sake, but before this was actually put forth in the Bible, because this was like a almost like a form letter that was written to various different churches. Um, especially those churches that were of the, uh, the Gentile nature. Uh, you could take in Ephesus and unplug it and put, it in, and put another word in Corinth or in Antioch or whatever it is. But this is a general message. This is why I said there's a, differenti- a differentiation and a distinction between what's being mentioned here in, Eph- in Ephesians as opposed to Galatians, which was a very, very focused. Um, this is a general message for all of us. That we're going to see here. This is a message for all those individuals who are in the body of Christ, who are truly looking to focus on Jesus Christ, who are truly doing everything they can to not focus on what the world would have them to do. Um, that is exactly what this message is all about here in these in this initial section of the letter. And these letters, you have to understand, the primary method of communication uh, back at that time was what writing letters, uh, writing letters and having them delivered. Um, uh, of course, uh, this is well before any time when uh, anything like email or anything like that existed. So this is how we had to communicate back then. This is It had to be by writing letters. And the letters had to be written in such a way where people, um, there had to be a lot of attention to what was being written. It had to be a, a great focus on what was written. They had to be relatively brief um, from the standpoint that couldn't want to waste, you don't want to waste time. You want to get the message across right away. And that's exactly what this passage does in these first 14 verses. This is a letter of encouragement for the Ephesian church. And Paul, you have to keep in mind here too, these missionary trips were being done because he recognized that the Ephesian church, as well as any other churches that are involved uh, in the uh, Roman Empire or anywhere around that area, there was a lot of influence, as I had mentioned before. And so he had been a Christian at this time for 30 years, had taken three missionary trips, established churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. Now, when he wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome. If you would look at Acts 28:16, you don't need to turn to that, but the last part of the passage just mentioned that he was under guard, house guard, by a Roman soldier uh, who was watching him. Uh, he was able to move about in the house, but he just couldn't leave the house. Um, and so he was able to write letters and do what was necessary there. So this is well into his ministry. Uh, where Galatians was uh, uh, another time, a frame when he was writing about, when he was writing back to them. So it's a very interesting uh, way to see how Paul was just paying a lot of attention to what was going on uh, in Ephesus and the Ephesian church. Now, let's go down to verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, what is this message saying here? Now, remember, keep in mind that their worship, primarily before Paul came along, was to worship to a Greek goddess 
who was supposedly providing all these blessings to them, uh, according to what they would believe. Um, but he is giving emphasis to the word heavenly realms. Back, heavenly realms is what's mentioned here. These are blessings that are not temporal, but eternal. We have an eternal blessing in Christ, and that's what we need to understand here. The blessings come from Christ's spiritual realm. He has control over all of that. The goddess Artemis was about an earthly realm. Um, that's what the distinction is being made here for everyone who is looking at this and reading this. You have to understand that there's not much of a difference today in how we see what Christ is doing in our lives versus what the world worships and what the world holds dear, what the world holds to be most important. The world holds to be most important things like money, like power, like status. But these are all things that are temporary. These are all things that are not eternal. The eternal uh, uh, situation here that we have to look at is that Christ is the one who is managing not just the world, but the entire spiritual realm, the entire realm that we have any awareness of through Scripture, what we read or what we understand. As far as you can get into a look in a telescope and look out as far as the eyes can see, and guess who manages all of that? Jesus Christ does. He has all of the spiritual realm. Anything that we can see, anything that we can look at, whether it be through a telescope or um, anything in our solar system, all of those things that we see, those are all within the realm of Jesus Christ. Um, and that is something that is amazing to behold and understand, but yet that is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate here uh, to the Ephesian church. goes way beyond what anything can be done here in the world. And all the more reason for us to continue to be in prayer for those individuals who are um, struggling with their faith, struggling with what to believe. We've got a lot of confusion that's out there right now in the world uh, for obvious reasons. We have people who are hopelessly sidetracked on things that uh, will not help them to be able to manage uh, what's going on in the world. Um, you need to make sure that you're focusing directly on what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Um, Jesus Christ is bigger than any election, bigger than any uh, pandemic, bigger than anything that we've seen this year. And we need to understand that and focus on that. And the moment that you take your focus off of those very things, you're going to struggle because you're focusing on what is worldly and frankly won't have any value um, when it comes to leaving here. Um, that's really what I, the biggest takeaway is when I read something like this. Look at, look at verse 4 again, just to show emphasis for this as well, too. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's what we need to see here. Even before this world that we live in uh, came into being, was created by God. He already knew exactly what he wanted to see in us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that if, if we really focus on what is eternal and what God has done for us in this situation in our lives where he has given us eternal life and he was given, he's given it to us with grace, then we need to focus on those very things to help us to manage the day by day that takes place. And we have a lot of day by day that goes on, you know, that this whole thing about, you know, a lot of, every year we have the same uh, discussions about um, should we go through this time change from daylight savings time to standard time? Well, it's always going to be a matter of discussion because that's what's on the forefront of people's minds. But <clears throat> when we get right down to it, is it really that important? Um, when it gets right down to it, it is just conversation. There's nothing more or less than that. Um, <clears throat> there are issues with people about daylight savings time going back to standard time, especially the other way around in the spring when we go from standard time to daylight savings time where people are rushing around. We hear there are more accidents that take place because of the time change because we lose an hour of sleep as opposed to gain it. Um, but that's just all talk. It's all conversation. It, it, it doesn't really approach uh, the goodness of God. Paul says that God chose us in him to emphasize that salvation depends completely upon God. We have salvation because we have God who has granted it to us. We're not saved because we deserve it. 
Amen. We know that already. We don't deserve anything other than, uh, frankly, damnation because we are in the flesh. We sin all the time. We know that sin separates us from fellowship with Jesus Christ. But he gives us salvation because he is gracious and he freely gives it. He doesn't withhold it. If anyone asks for salvation, he never tells that person no. Uh, Isn't that amazing how that works? He always says yes. If someone asks to be saved, he always says yes. That's something that's always very important for us to remember. We don't have, he doesn't have any restrictions as to who comes into his kingdom. As long as you recognize that he is the Lord, he is Lord of all, and he is the Lord and Savior, then he will allow entry into the kingdom. He will give you that because he wants to give you that. He doesn't want to refuse it. So we need to keep that in mind as we look at God's goodness. He controls the heavenly realm. He wants to see all of us come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now take a look at verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You ever get the impression that, you know, when sometimes when you do things, it may not always be easy to do. It may be very uh, difficult. Uh, for example, if you're like getting up on the roof and cleaning off leaves, uh, that may not necessarily be the, the easiest job to do, and it may not be very pleasurable, but you know it's something that you have to do eventually. Just like you have to knock the ice off of your roof too, or heavy snow, because if you don't do that, your roof could cave in. Well, there's nothing pleasant about that. You want to definitely do it. But understand something. There's a difference between that and what Christ has done for us, where he took great pleasure in seeing that we had salvation. He took pleasure about us. He was showing us his grace. He wanted us to have this salvation. It gave him him great pleasure to be able to present salvation to us. So what does this mean? God has adopted us as his own children. And we hear this conversation about family and friends and family members And he uses this uh, message all throughout Scripture about the closeness of our relationships with him. That's what we need to see. We have a very close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have this closeness, he has adopted us as his own children. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he has brought us into his family and made us heirs along with Jesus. Let's take a look at a passage real quick. Romans 8, 17. Romans eight seventeen. So if you look at this passage, and again, the message is also conveyed in Romans about how Christ looks at us as his children. We are the children of God. We are the children who follow him uh, because you, know, we, you have a relationship where he is the, the uh, so-called parent. And we are the children. He is the one that we look to for authority, um, if you're looking at it from a family perspective. Now, from an uh, eternal perspective, he is our Lord, no question about it. So we don't want to mix those things up. We need to understand that we're looking to him as Lord and Savior because of what he's done. But look what it says in Romans 8:17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him well there you go so we are suffering with him we we have we we understand experiences dealing with sin and we have struggled with those things but we also know that jesus christ also suffered for us and he did so because he freely wanted to give salvation to his children um in roman law and, and understand something too this is where we need to understand the context of what's being said here in roman law Adopted children had the same rights and privileges as biological children. Ha! Huh. So this communication is being made for people to understand who is reading this, what the importance is when we talk about this adoption relationship, this family relationship. And that includes even if they had been slaves. Even if they had been slaves, uh, they become adopted members of the family. They have the same rights and privileges. So Paul is using this term to show how strong our relationship to God really is. That's what we need to see. Let's take a, a quick look back at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7. 
Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7. Now, understand that the, the passage is referring to what uh, God did, sending Jesus Christ. It says, he sent Jesus Christ, and look at verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There you go. Adoption as sons. So, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Amen. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. How important is that? We need to see this relationship. He mentions it to the Galatian church, and now he's mentioning it also to the Ephesian church as well, too. So he's essentially mentioning it to all of us as well, too, that he wants to have as strong a relationship with him as possible. That's really up to us to make sure that we fulfill that. You know that a parent can always reach out to a child, but a child may say, uh, well, I'm going to go on my way and do whatever. But honestly, that's really up to us to make sure that we do our, everything we can to make sure that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is as strong as possible. He wants us to remain strong in him. He wants us to remain faithful in him. All right, we're going to move along here because the passage is still a little bit to cover here. Um, so let's drop down. Uh, verse 6, so we praise God, back to Ephesians chapter 1, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us his kindness, showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So now we need to understand about the importance of referencing Jesus' blood. Remember that we're dealing with people who are involved with either pagan worship or, or worship that was other than that of Jesus Christ. And even the Jews, we, they had their own standards of worship where, of course, there were animal and blood sacrifices. So we need to speak about this from a first century way of speaking of Christ's death, speaking about Jesus' blood. His death points to two very wonderful truths. The first truth is redemption, and the second truth is forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness. If you don't take anything else away from the Sunday school, remember that Jesus Christ is dying on the cross was all about redemption for us and forgiveness for us. So redemption was the price paid to gain freedom for a slave. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but if you want to reference and jot this down, Leviticus 25, verses 47 through 54, talks about redemption, about a price being paid for a slave to gain freedom. And if you read that, you'll see the corollary there with what it means for slaves. Now, understand something. Jews and Gentiles had slaves. So they can really, anybody who's reading this letter can relate to this particular message about redemption by making a reference to what it is to be redeemed as a slave and becoming a full-fledged member of a family. Um, so that's one thing to look at. Through his death, Jesus paid the price to release us from slavery to sin. So we're slaves to sin. We were always slaves to sin uh, until we had a relationship with Jesus Christ. We didn't probably feel like we were slaves to sin, but the, the reference here that we need to look at is that we were slaves to sin but now we have been made free in Christ. John 8, 36 says, those who are free in Christ are free indeed. And so we need to, that's an emphasis statement. So when you read that free, free in Christ are free indeed, that's a statement of emphasis. And we are indeed free in Christ. John 8, 36, remember that. That's a, that's a memory verse for you. To always remember that you have freedom in Christ. And so forgiveness was granted in Old Testament times on the basis of, now, looking at forgiveness. Forgiveness was granted in Old Testament times on the basis of the shedding of animals' blood. Now, that's in Leviticus 17.11. You can reference that and look at that. We kind of know where that comes from. Um, obviously, Leviticus was a book of the various rules that had to be followed by, uh, by the church back in the time of Moses, uh, by the people, rather. Back in the time of Moses, their church was not in existence then. They were just a group of people, but... They were, it was the nation of Israel that had to follow uh, these different rules. 
So now we're forgiven on the basis of the shedding of Jesus' blood. And we're talking about the shedding of blood of animals. He died as the perfect and final sacrifice. We don't need animal sacrifice anymore because we have Jesus Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice for us. A couple of passages I want to look at real here quick. Colossians 1.20. Colossians 1.20. Now, I know the reference is made to Colossians 1.20. I'm going to lead into that passage by noting that 19 talks about, for in him all the full goodness of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell... And look what it says, and through him in verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The blood, the blood that was shed, that we recognize where Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin by the shedding of his own blood. For what it looks, for all intents and purposes, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of Christ's blood, there is no forgiveness. So we have to see that from the standpoint of how God had planned this whole thing for us. Another passage to look at real quick is Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22. And just so you know, we're doing well on time here. Uh, there's, uh, there were some key passages here that everything was kind of uh, pushed to the top of the passage here as far as what I wanted to cover and make sure that I communicated well. Um, something for you to pray over and mull over about God's goodness. Uh, we need to see exactly what he has been doing for us and continues to do for us today. There's no change in any of this. This is all the same today as it was even back then when this was written. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins so all this thing about animal sacrifice and all those issues about uh what jesus christ did without the shedding of blood god had made that a standard that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin and we need to see that as well too um if you go back into the book of genesis and we recognize that uh, the animal sacrifice had to take place because adam and eve had to put clothes on so guess what an animal had to shed blood and be sacrificed so at that point, we can say that that may have been the first sacrifice, uh, the shedding of blood for the purposes of forgiveness of sin. Now, it didn't mean that God forgot about the sin. He, there was a consequence for that sin, and that meant uh, that uh, the man and uh, woman would both be separated from him unless he provided a way of salvation for us. But we need to understand that this whole thing about blood sacrifice was nothing that just came about uh, well into when Moses' time was. It was always there. It was always present. We need to understand that as well, too. That is God's standard for the purposes of the forgiveness of sin, the shedding of blood. Jesus Christ is our eternal sacrifice. We do not need to have animal sacrifices anymore or blood sacrifices. Jesus Christ is part of the new covenant. He is the one who shed his blood for past, present, and future sins for all people all people who have not been born yet, all people who are still coming. He is the one who takes care of all of that and has taken care of all of that. So we need to understand that as well, too. Let's go back to Ephesians 1, 9. God has now revealed to us his, us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So sometimes we go through life and wonder, like, what does God's will, what is his will? Well, what is his will? Um, the mysterious thing is that, well, first of all, we know that God is indeed mysterious. He is, uh, he doesn't, uh, he often surprises us. He doesn't, he isn't very predictable often. Uh, he will do things that uh, are contrary sometimes to what we think are reasonable or logical. So he is very mysterious. Let's start with that. His mysterious will that uh, Paul is referring to here for the world is not going to be was not going to be fully understood, uh, frankly, until Christ rose from the dead. So that mysterious will was something that was always in place and it still is in place. But he has given us a little bit more to understand today that Jesus Christ had to be raised from the dead. His purpose 
was for Christ to unite Jews and Gentiles in one body with Christ as the head, which no one predicted. No one knew that was coming. Jews thought they were the ones, only the ones, the only ones entitled to this Savior. When they found out that there were Gentiles also involved, it's like, whoa, are you kidding me? So they were surprised by what God's mysterious will was. He wants all people to come together with the understanding of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is what we have read in Scripture already. God desires for all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we recognize um, um, from what Scripture has said, and we also recognize it that not everybody's going to understand what God's plan is right now, but there will come a point where everyone will. Um, turn to Philippians 2, and let's take a look at Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Jesus Christ, of course, did everything that he did. He made himself a lower person uh, for the purpose of uh, becoming human, living like a human being, and dying on the cross and shedding blood. And so what does that represent? It represents his total sacrifice for all of humanity. It says in verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we need to see here. The, it, the truth will be known eventually for everyone. This is everyone who has come to be, who will come before the Lord. Can barely say it because it's it's almost so mind-boggling. Everyone who comes before the Lord, whether you love the Lord or not, in this lifetime, is going to come to the revelation that every knee should bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. That would be a sight to behold, truly. Living in this world today, you know, you could almost believe that half of the people in the world believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and half don't, just the way they did when Jesus was walking the earth. Half of the people believed that he was Lord and Savior, and half of them didn't and chose not to. Well, there's going to come a point where every one of these individuals, uh, those who know him and who, those who don't, will know exactly that he is Jesus is Lord. And that's to the glory of God the Father. That's for God's glory. The will of the God, honestly, is to be glorified by our recognition of what he did for us as people. Uh, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, he wants God, God ultimately wants to see himself glorified. Remember when he says he took great pleasure? It's not about being braggadocious or anything. It's because he's Lord. He's the one who is in control over all of things, all things, all people. Um, there's nothing that gets past him. He's one who is Lord and Savior of our lives. So we need to understand that that is what we need to take away from this passage. His mysterious will that we are to find out and we are to learn. Because we're united with Christ, go back to verse 11. We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. His desire was to see people get saved. His desire was to see people like you and me who have a relationship with him get saved. That's what he wanted. That was always his intent from the beginning of time. Before I was even uh, considered as a living human being, that's what he wanted for me. And that's what he wanted for you too. So we need to understand that that very thing is all part of his plan and his purpose and his will. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and praise the Lord some more because that's what his plan was for us. That's what we need to take away from all of this. Uh, let's go down to Ephesians 12. Uh, we're about to wrap up here. We've got another, another few minutes. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 12. God's purpose was that the G we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, this is the 
other wonderful thing to consider about salvation. Once we acknowledge Christ as Savior, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. He gives us this as an extra way for us to be able to counter those fiery darts, those arrows, those things that we face from Satan. Of course, we have the armor of God, which is you know, putting on the word of God uh, and making sure that we're relying upon him. But the Holy Spirit is God's seal. It's his deposit that guarantees us that he will do what he has promised. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a seal for us. It is the promise that he is going to do exactly what he says when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to all the things that he promises and declares in his word. This is our promise that he will do those very things. And the Spirit is what demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. It proves that we're God's children, and it secures eternal life for us. So what does the Spirit do? His power works within us to transform us. We become better and better people because of the Spirit. When we are taught, we are being sanctified by him. We become more and more comfortable with God's word. We become more and more comfortable with our relationship with him. We're learning more about him. Sometimes he makes us uncomfortable, and rightfully so, because we might be dabbling with sin or doing something we shouldn't be doing. So the Spirit is there to remind us about that. Because you know what he knows? He knows that without the Spirit, we cannot be successful. We cannot be successful in overcoming sin and fleshly behavior. We need the Spirit to help us with those very things. God is always rooting for us. He's always rooting for us. He always wants us to be successful in what we're doing. I hope you can see that. I hope you can understand that by all the things that he has enabled in us to be able to have this relationship with him that's healthy and vibrant. He's always rooting for us. When, when, when someone takes great pleasure in things that you're doing that are good for you, that's something to be thankful for. You know, some people want to see, some people on the, in the world today want to see you drop over because they think, you know, oh, you're just a goody shoes. I wish that person would mess up, make me feel better about myself. Some people do think that way, and we need to pray for people like that because anyone who would wish someone harm or wish someone to fall there's something pathologically wrong with a person like that. That's a satanic way of thinking. We don't want to see people fail. We don't want to see people uh, be unsuccessful. We want to see people succeed as much as possible. We want to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm prayerful that you understand that the world might want to see you fail, but God doesn't want to see you fail. God wants you to succeed. He is giving us the tools on a daily basis and every day to be, be successful. Uh, amen. Hi, Crystal. Um, so with that in mind, that is what concludes Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Now understand that Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working through us now. He wants us to exchange, experience this change in our life, and that's what's leading us to this place that we can go to in eternity. We are getting more and more like Christ as we approach that time we will be with Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your teaching in the book of Ephesians. We thank you for the understanding of the importance of unity in Christ. We thank you for understanding um, his fellowship time with you, up with us. We thank you for helping us to understand more about who he is. And Lord, we know that you indeed are very mysterious and you have revealed things to us gradually over time, through what Scripture has presented to us, you have told us a wonderful story about the goodness of Christ. And we thank you that this wonderful story is, in fact, a true story, that we can rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We thank you for his goodness. We thank you that we can call upon him at any time, because you indeed are the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in one. We thank you for all that you do for us to help us to be successful. Lord, we pray that we always are mindful of what we're doing to make sure that we are fellowshipping with you. We are mindful of our sins and we ask for forgiveness on a regular basis because we want to make sure that we are learning and not squelching the ability to learn more about you. 
Lord, we just thank you for this great lesson to take away for today. And until we meet again, Lord, we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. Uh, We're going to sign off now and get ready for a church in Akron. Uh, We'll be getting together in Akron. For those of you who are not in Akron and uh, who are in different parts of the USA, please stay tuned. We'll be back online at about 11 o'clock and bring to you the uh, live stream worship service as well, too. Uh, We're having church. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're having church. We're gathering together. And even if we can't gather together in person, we can certainly do it online. And uh, we're very, very thankful to be able to do those things. So uh, we'll be signing off now. Please remember, for those who are coming to church, you must have a face covering uh, at all times. Uh, Dress comfortably since you're indoors. Uh, Keep in mind that uh, uh, we're going to try and keep the service brief as well, too, because we don't want to congregate too long in one area as well. So thank you for being with us again this morning. Uh, We will see you again next time. Um, God bless you all. Take care and uh, have a wonderful day.